Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm chapter 95, verses 1 through 11. Please follow along in your bulletins, in your Bibles, or on the screen above. Hear now the reading of the word. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Amen. Good afternoon. Once again, I want to welcome everyone to our 1 p.m. service here at New Mercy. Um, if you are uh, visiting us or here for the first time, we truly welcome you in the name of our Lord. Today was, yes, supposed to be our outdoor service, but God had other plans. So, um, so the pastors, actually, we, we, the full-time pastors, we had to split up. Uh, so Pastor Key was preaching at Edgewater, and Pastor John was at 10.30, and I will be preaching here at 1 p.m. And three of us were actually preaching different messages. So it's kind of interesting. First time, I think, ever here at New Mercy, because it's kind of like a last-minute cancellation. So uh, we decided rather, rather than having one person, one pastor preach uh, all three services, um, just have the different pastors split up into the different services. So this is kind of interesting for me. Um, so I was kind of praying. I was, Lord, you know, not that much time to prepare, but uh, what is it that you want uh, me to share today? So good news is only three pages, okay? I told somebody it's going to be 10 minutes, but I think that's a lie, okay? It's going to be a little bit longer, 10 minutes, but it's going to be pretty short. Uh, but I was kind of thinking and praying what to share and, um, you know, for me, whenever I think about our church, when I think about our church, New Mercy, this community that God has given us, and especially this service, especially this service, you know, this year uh, I am kind of, you know, helping to oversee this service a little bit more. So, you know, whenever I pray for the one o'clock, you know, as someone called it, the one, whenever I am in prayer thinking about this service, 1 p.m. service, um, what is it that one thing, what is it that one thing that perhaps um, that I would like to see, I'd like to see here, uh, maybe specifically here for, for 1 p.m.? Um, and it is, I pray that we get, we get worship. Um, I pray that here at 1 p.m., that we really get, we really catch we really understand, grasp, uh, worship. Okay? That is our prayer. That is my prayer. Uh, I think for me as a, as a Christian, uh, being in the church you know, all my life, growing up in the church, and also 
thinking through my spiritual journey, um, moments or seasons that I really got worship, um, that's when I think my faith really, really, really grew. And there was a significant leaps in terms of understanding, uh, understanding uh, really what this whole faith is, is about. I think, I think there's a crucial, very close link between uh, understanding and getting this dimension of worship uh, and, and spiritual growth. Uh, in Christianity, in Christian faith, I think if you get worship, many things, most spiritual things, it makes sense. It's easy. It flows. If you don't get worship, if you miss worship, I think you miss everything. Right? So I think it's crucial, it's very important, significant, that you know, it's a, one of the f- most foundational things, this thing called worship. If you get worship, again, as a Christian, as a church, if we get worship, I think we get everything. It's easy. Everything makes sense. Because then the underlying foundational theme of the Christian faith is, is worship. Is loving our Lord all our heart, mind, and soul. If we, if we don't get worship, if you miss worship, if you kind of, you know, have difficulty understanding, kind of getting what worship is, this big thing, worship, nothing really makes sense. Right? It's, it's, it's hard. And, and at the end of the day, I think you miss everything. Right? Um, so, for me, whenever I think about our church, especially I think this service, um, my heart is that, my prayer is that, Lord, help us to get worship. Help us to really grab onto and, 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 and get, understand worship, uh, worshiping the Lord. Okay? So, um, so, we'll, we'll, so I'm just going to use Psalm 95 uh, today to, to talk about worship just quickly few pointers, just, just, you know, some practical points and stuff like that. So can we pray one more time? Let's just pray. Let's come before the Lord. Let's ask the Lord for his, his wisdom and his, his, his words for us. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come before you um, as, as your people. Uh, Lord, uh, we pray that uh, this day, this moment, uh, Lord, really indeed, it will be uh, about you, Father. We turn our, our hearts towards you, Father, that you'll, uh, you'll find delight uh, in us. God, our, our worship, our praise, uh, we will truly glorify you and you alone. Uh, Father, we acknowledge you first and foremost today. Will you hide uh, just our, our ways, our selfish, our self-focused, self-centered ways, Father. Uh, and may we see you, or may we seek you today. Will you turn our hearts again? Will you realign our hearts towards you, God? We come before uh, just the moving of your Holy Spirit. Give us rest this day, Father. Speak into our lives. Uh, We love you. We thank you. 
All things in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the uh, greatest privileges for, for, uh, for me as an ordained pastor, it's, um, it's actually marrying people, right? Marrying people. Um, and this was not always the case, to be honest. When I was a little bit younger, uh, whenever you know, I had an occasion to marry people, it was pretty scary. It was pretty scary and I, it was uncomfortable. I did not want to, I hated officiating actually. It was one of my favorite things. Um, and people ask me, oh, isn't that such an awesome, awesome duty, whatever, awesome, awesome role you could have, marrying people? Uh, now, yes, now it's awesome. It's, it's powerful. But when I was younger, you know, early days of my ministry, it was challenging. I was kind of, you know, scared. I was like, what if I mess up their ser- you know, ceremony? You know, marriage, you know, wedding service, it's, it's a once-a-life thing, right? Like, you, hopefully you do it once. Uh, what if I mispronounce their names? You know, I'll pronounce you John and Bob. I mean, John and, you know, whatever. Get their names wrong. John and Cindy or supposed to be Mary or something. Uh, so I was terrified. I was terrified. What if I may, may, you know, make a mistake or mess up? But definitely now, now, I'm a little bit, little bit you know, I guess older, uh, there's nothing like uh, officiating a, a wedding. Uh, you know, two people in love, um, just... You know, in that season, right, they, they're just blinded and like, oh, I love you, I will do whatever. And just, just, just so amazing, just the affections that they have for one another. Uh, and how also uh, witnessing the faithfulness of God. God bringing two completely just random people, uh, somehow orchestrating this divine um, relationship, right? And two people coming together to a point that I love you, I'll give myself to you, and they get married. And Scripture says that two becomes one. It's a powerful, just spiritual, right? Just thinking, uh, you know, whenever I witness it, it's amazing. And I am, every time I get to do it, it's, it's an honor for me. Uh, why am I talking about this? <laughs> what, does, what does this have to do with um, worship? I think uh, growing in worship, understanding in worship, it has to do with moving from a ritualistic something that you have to do into the realm of affection. Okay? So growing in worship, getting worship, if you want to really get worship, if you want to understand worship, and as a community, this is my prayer, and personally, if you want to get worship, the starting point is coming from or beginning, if you're here in this side, Understanding worship as a ritualistic or religious form and coming, moving over to the realm of, of affections. Uh, ultimately, worship is knowing how to love God. Right? Worship has nothing to do with you know, doing things for God or, or forms or being caught up so much on forms or, or religious duties or going to church. Or singing certain songs. Yes, those are part of it. It's, it is significant. But in the bigger sense, uh, worship is about, it's about heart affections. It's, it's, it has to do with being in, in love with the Lord. That's why if you study scripture, right? When you study scripture, um, from the greatest commandment is what? Is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Uh, John 3.16, right? The, 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 the verse that talks about our salvation, what is it? For God so loved the world. Uh, 
Right? Over and over, we see through Scripture, the underlining tone, the theme of Scripture is, is love. It's, it's actually it's about affection. It's about being in love with our God and being loved by God. That's why getting worship, right, if we're to get worship, it has a lot to do with understanding our heart's affections. What does your heart, where is your heart? What does your heart love? Where is your heart going towards in terms of uh, you know, affections? You know, Jonathan Edwards, the famous um, preacher during the Great Revival, uh, Jonathan Edwards, he wrote a book called Religious Affections. Religious Affections. And the book has to do with uh, just our inmost deep inner longing that we, all of us have. And he writes how we were created with this inner deep affection towards God. But because of sin, because of idols, uh, we no longer um, align or have our heart's affections towards God. But now our hearts are torn. We place our affections upon people, upon things, upon stuff upon power, prestige, all these other things. Basically, upon idols, that's what it is. That's what idols are, right? Whenever we place our affections, heart affections, upon these other things, not upon God. Uh, and that's the underlying kind of tension we, we feel we have when we think about worship as the people of God. Where do you align your heart affections is it really upon God? Is it upon our, our heavenly good, good Father who sent His one and only Son to die for us? Um, do, we, do, we, do we love the Lord with all our heart, mind, and soul? Or is it on these other things, right? So that's kind of like the, uh, I think the foundational point, that main point I want to I just make today, okay? Getting worship is moving from a ritualistic religious understanding of doing things, you know, going to church, formalities, check, making checks or checking points into the realm of heart affections. Um, becoming a great worshiper is nothing more than becoming a great lover, basically. We're growing as lovers of God. Okay. John Piper, I think we, I don't know if we have this. We have this quote, John Piper, the first one. Um, you know, John Piper, famous, you know, pastor, he writes about kind of heart affections, and he says this. He says, even uh, believing in Jesus Christ, right, when you become a Christian, he says, it is humanly manageable to make decisions of the will for Christ. No supernatural power is required to pray prayers, sign cars, walk aisles, or even stop sleeping around. Those are good. They just don't prove that anything spiritual has happened. Christian conversion, on the other hand, is a supernatural, radical thing. The heart is changed. And the evidence of it is not just new decisions, but new affections, new feelings. How do you know you're a Christian? Because I raised my hand at a retreat. How do you know you're a Christian? Because there's something in us, you begin, to, you begin to love the things of God. Right? That's the greatest evidence. 
your heart, there's, there's, some, there's some type of a new, new thing that takes place, new change. Our hearts are molded and shaped and it gets changed in a new way that we begin to gain, have affection towards the things of God. And we begin to love God. You know, before when I was a Christian, yeah, you know, church, God, all this stuff is nice, but whoa, Sunday football, giants, and whatever, whatever your idol is, your affections are more upon those things than the things of God. Right? I'm a huge giants fan. I'm not making fun of giants. You're going to feel guilty now missing church, right? But whatever it is, whatever your thing is, money, your job, your fame, your family, whatever it is, though your affection, your heart affections are upon those things first and foremost. It just naturally goes towards those things. Why? Because our hearts are sinful. Our hearts are sinful. It's an idol factory. So we just get attached to those things. But once you become a Christian, what's the biggest sign? Is we gain new affections. I don't know why, but I just love Jesus. I love things of God. I want to know what, what matters to God now. People don't have to tell me to go to church or worship. I want to go to church. I want to worship. I want to pray. I love the Word of God. I am interested. I'm curious. Why? Because our hearts are changed. There's a new, new set of affections. These heart affections. You long. You long for the things of God. And I'll say that is worshiping. That is a worshiper. Right? We become a worshiper of God now, out of those things. Uh, Tim Keller uh, said, uh, worship is pulling our affections off our idols and putting them on God. Uh, he defines worship in one, in one way as worship is pulling our affections off of these idols and placing it on God. That's what worship is. And it's a battle, right? a constant tension. Uh, but we begin to, once again, love God as who he is. Today, when we look at this psalm, um, this psalm is a, is a psalm of corporate worship. So for the Israelites, the Jews, when you study Psalms 95 to 100, the five psalms in the middle, they really teach us a lot about worship, a lot about worship and corporate worship and how they would worship. What they would do is they will uh, repeat verse by verse. Now, for instance, they will say, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. And the congregation will respond. And this was a psalm of, of, of worship. It was a liturgical psalm because it taught the Israelites who God was and what's at the heart of worship. So the rest of the time today, I want to just cover maybe three or four practical things that this psalm uh, teaches us about, about worship, okay, about corporate worship. Number one, worship or corporate worship, so whenever we come together before the Lord together, growing in worship, uh, must be, number one, must be God-centered, okay? pretty obvious, but I think we need to also <laughs> remember. It's obvious, but it's, so, it's sometimes not so obvious, right? Uh, corporate worship, number one, first and foremost, must be uh, God-centered. Right? Today here, the psalm says, sing for joy to the Lord. Let us come before him, extol him. Lord is the great God. And over and over, reminding us 
the focus of any type of corporate gathering or worship is, is God himself. Like I said, it seems, sounds pretty obvious, but I'm going to ask you honestly, how many times per, you know, we come even on Sunday worship, and honestly, we miss God? Oh, that was an okay sermon. Praise was not that great today, whatever, whatever. The focus is actually on, on us, right? rather than just kind of letting him go, thinking about the Lord, resting upon the Lord. The center of corporate worship to start, it has to be uh, the Lord. Uh, first, it is for us to give him his worth. Okay? The word worship actually comes from the word worth, worship. Uh, who is the Lord? Scripture today says he's the king, he's our Lord, he's a shepherd, uh, he's, he's someone right? worthy of our praise. It's, it's God himself alone. There's no king like him. The Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods, verse 2 says. Our absolute attention focus has to be upon God himself. Or else we're, we're not getting worship. We, we don't get it. Starting point is the Lord. Okay, that's number one. Number two, <clears throat> whenever we think about corporate worship, there is a collective dimension. Uh, and this is something very powerful we learn from the Old Testament especially, that the dimension of worship uh, is, of course, there is a personal dimension. If you study scripture, we know David, you know, he, he worshiped the Lord on his own. But also many, many times, scripture teaches us there's a corporate dimension, there's a collective dimension of, of worship. That it's almost teaching us you cannot, we cannot fully grasp worship, grasp God, without the other, that we need each other. You know, here even today said over and over, let us, let us come before the Lord, let us come before the Lord. Uh, you know, let us run to the mountain. I mean, over and over in the Psalms, it teaches us the dimension of corporate worship. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I, I preached on uh, God's call for the Christian is not just individual salvation, but what? That we're being corporately being saved, right? That we're becoming God's people. Uh, same thing here in worship. In order for us to fully understand the Lord and to, and to worship God, become the greatest lover of God, it doesn't necessarily just happen in, on the individual plane, but it happens corporately. Remember the end of the end, Revelation. Uh, every tongue, every tribe, all nations gathering before the Lord and worshiping the Lord together corporately. Again, he teaches us. I remember a story, uh, I think Pastor Tim Keller talks about this a lot, but story of C.S. Lewis and his friends, right? Uh, you know, the great C.S. Lewis, he had uh, two close friends. One was Tolkien, right? J.R. Tolkien, we know, the Lord of the Rings. And the other one was uh, Charles Williams, another great uh, writer. And the three of them, they say, uh, is legendary, their friendship. They're so close, so tight, three of them, great friends. Uh, but what happens is uh, uh, Charles Williams, he passes away first. So he dies one day. And it was sad, you know, they're mourning for him and stuff. But uh, C.S. Lewis, he writes that when Charles passed away, he thought now that from three our friendship become, you know, just only two of us, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis thought now I will have more of Tolkien. I'll get to know him more. Because before there was three, we had to share the friendship, but there's only now two. So we'll get tighter. That's what he thought. I'm going to know everything about Tolkien. 
But then he writes, it was the opposite. Right? C.S. Lewis says that there were things only Charles Williams would bring a dimension of Tolkien out of him. There are jokes or there's ways that only Charles Williams could share and, and, and you know, uh, and do that would draw a certain part of Tolkien out that C.S. Lewis could never do. And C.S. Lewis writes that even in friendship, community is necessary for us to gain a fuller picture of the person. And same thing, I think here, God is teaching us uh, in faith, in growing as a community, a crucial thing is that, uh, that we need each other, we need the body, we need the community, we need the collective worship in order for us to also fully understand who God is. There's a, there's a limitation almost how much I can get to know God. I need you. I need my brothers and sisters' stories and testimonies as you worship God, as I worship God, that we collectively are getting to understand and see the fuller picture of who God is. Uh, I mean, it's it's just a powerful thing. Uh, And and C.S. Lewis, you know, he he writes that imagine how much more in the body of Christ that we need each other to gain the fuller picture of who our God is. Right? So meaning, if you think, if you think, as an individual, I don't care how spiritual, how holy you are. I know God. I know everything about God. I mean, that's arrogance. That's arrogance. No one. No one. Uh, no one has the full, full understanding, full picture of God. You need the, you need the body. Right? Collectively, we, we are growing in the knowledge of God. Okay, so number two. Number three. So center around God, understanding the collective corporate nature of the body of Christ. Number three, here, uh, Psalm 95 teaches us that something about awe-inspired celebration, right? Awe-inspired celebration. Uh, I mean, over and over he says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Extol him with music and song. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. And on and on, it has this theme of celebration, of shouting, of singing. That's, that's, who, that's who God is. God deserves the utmost shout and joy and songs. And, and what it's teaching us is, how, we, how, are, how do we worship the Lord? Right? A worship uh, needs to be, it has to involve every part of who we are. Um, worship is not just intellectual exercise. Sometimes we put so much emphasis on the sermon. Right? Literally people come, they don't want to even come in while we're singing or praising. But you know, is it sermon yet? They just want to come and sit down for the sermon just here. Have some you know, intellectual exercise, then just, just leave. Uh, that, that, then you're not really getting it once again. You're not getting what worship is. Once again, worship is what? Becoming lovers of God. Uh, that there's a heart affection that, that's beating, that I desire, I hunger, I want more of God. I want to know every dimension of God. I want to grow in the knowledge of God, in the intimacy of God. And scriptures today teaches us even things like singing. Why do we sing? Do you think about that? Why do we sing at church? I mean, people who hate, you know, singing, 
What are you saying? I hate singing. What is this, NRB? What do we say at church? What do we sing? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Because maybe because the Bible says to sing. Have you thought about that? Scripture, scripture literally, literally teaches us sing to the Lord. If Bible says to sing to the Lord, maybe I should sing to the Lord. I think there's a dimension of humility. Maybe some of us were just not formed or shaped that way. We don't like to use certain part of our who we are, uh, maybe to worship the Lord. But God's telling us worship needs to involve every part of who we are, not just the head, the mind, the emotion, but even physically, even singing, even even here. We even teaches us uh, the posture. It says to bow down, kneel before the Lord our God, even kneeling. Sitting before God, standing before God. Right? It's teaching us that there has to be, the whole part of who we are has to be uh, involved in worship. Okay? And lastly, it, when we look at verse, uh, the last part of this psalm, which is a little bit uh, interesting how the psalm ends, it says, verse 7, it says, Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at Massa, in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts grow astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. When you study this, this section, the Meribah and Massa, this actually comes from Exodus 17. If you go back to the book of Exodus, they're coming out of Egypt, right? And what happens? What's the story there? Uh, once again, the great God uh, comes to rescue the Israelites who are trapped in, in, under Egyptians as slaves. And, you know, God uses Moses, and they're out in the desert waiting to go into the promised land. And God is good. God is faithful. He provides. He protects and all these things, you know, there's millions of people, millions of Israelites in the desert, uh, and God uh, works uh, in and through them. But then when you study Exodus 17, what happens is uh, there's, a, there's a time when they, they run out of water. They run out of water, uh, and people start to grumble. Ah, I hate you, God. What's going on? You know, you took us out to the desert to kill us, so we die here. Grumbling. How quickly forgetting once they were slaves. Once they were slaves. And through the faithful, just, just the, the power of God, God went and rescued his people. And God is taking them out, training them, raising them, and, and they're journeying in the desert. And they quickly, so quickly forget who the Lord is was and God is warning us don't harden your heart like those people right? and there's a dimension of uh, continual just surrender and trusting in the faithfulness of who God is and I think once again that's why worship this growing in worship is so much more closer to affection 
than, than form. Right? Because when you just kind of stuck in form, just kind of doing things for the sake of doing, now worship, oh yeah, go to church Sunday, okay, quiet time, or I need to pray, just, just kind of just stuck in the form of worship. Then when things don't go your way, or when hardships come, tough times come, quickly you're going to turn. Or I think the other side too, when God answers and God gives you good things, when you feel satisfied, quickly those forms, it's hard to maintain. But when worship is about affections, it's about actually loving God, uh, you can love God steadily, no matter what, because it's anchored upon God's faithfulness, right, who God is. You know, it's kind of like that's why it goes back to the, the illustration of marriage. Uh, you know, I've been married now. Lisa and I, we've been married for a long time. Um, I think coming January, we'll be what, like 18 years? 18 years marriage. We got married when we were 25. What are we thinking? Just kidding. No, she's right there, so I can't say too much. Uh, we got married when we were 25. Fell in love, you know, we said, I do. Uh, but because, once again, the marital commitment is based not upon forms and duty. She's my wife, so I need to do this and this and this and this. No. But marital covenant is based on what? Based on affections. Because I love her. Right? There's a huge difference. Right? Because I love her, even though at times I don't want to, but, but I do, because at the end of the day, uh, she's my wife that, whom I love, right? The same thing, as we think about growing in worship, it's base, the, the foundational point is moving over from duty and ritual and religion into the realm of affection. When you begin to get that, you are getting worship. That's why people don't have to force you. But now, I want to. Because I love my God. How can I not praise the Lord? Whether things are good or bad. or Because I absolutely trust in His goodness, His faithfulness. And the way that He has saved me, has loved me, I'm merely just reflecting back his goodness that took place in my life. That is, that is worship. Okay? Last Sunday we were in China, some of us, uh, five of us. I'm still jet-lagged, and kind of tired. Um, and we will have a China you know, presentation soon after one of our uh, team members, Honey, uh, she's still in Korea, so she'll be back. When she comes back, we'll have an official China presentation. But, you know, last Sunday we were in China, and um, we worshipped at a Chinese underground church. Uh, and guess how long their service was? Their service was two and a half hours. And today... When I said my sermon is going to be 10 minutes, people are rejoicing. Ah. Yes, 10 minutes. Uh, 
Last week, we were sitting at a Chinese underground church with our Chinese brothers and sisters who love the Lord for two and a half hours. Sermon itself was an hour and 15 minutes. And it was in completely Mandarin. No idea what she was. I hope she was preaching the truth. I hope it wasn't a cult. But um, verse by verse, they're going. And it's okay. And it was okay. Once worship becomes about affection, when, when worship turns, once again, from this ritualistic checkmarking thing into the realm of love, about, about affection, then it doesn't matter. I mean, we, when you're in love with someone, do you want the day to be 10 minutes? Or is it, right? Does it really matter where you, you go and what kind of food you eat? What you do? You're just happy. You're, just, you're just, just glad that you're just with this person. That's the realm of worship. That's, that's getting worship. And that's what, you know, for me, that's what I pray. That's why I pray for us here in New Mercy, especially here at 1 p.m., that we, we get worship. That Sunday somehow our corporate worship time, it doesn't become like a, like a duty or, or, oh, I have to go to church on Sunday. But I pray that for us, that it becomes a place as the body of Christ, that we can corporately love our God together, to really worship our God together. That's our prayer. Can we pray? Let's pray. Let's close. Let's pray. Father, uh, 